Well, tonight is a uh, it's an honor to have Mike and Gina, who are part of our group now. But Mike spent over 35 years, and I keep failing the exact number of years, but it was over 35. Did we hit 40 years of pastoring? He's not going to say. <laughs> but but uh, decades of, of pastoring, and uh, they have loved on us and, and on the church family. And uh, I'd ask Mike, I said, would you like to get in rotation? And it looked like he was doing it to appease me. But, <laughs> but no, I'm thankful for him. I told him, thank you for not wearing a full suit tonight, so you didn't set a standard that I do not want to uphold. Um, but we are excited to hear the word of God. So, Mike, would you come and, and lead us? Wear a suit? I don't think so. I don't think so. I have not worn a suit in decades, literally. I could stand here and tell you the story tonight. Have you ever heard the story about why... Where ties came from? <laughs> True story. Okay, ties. You know the, ne the necktie? Ties came from one time in England many, 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 many years ago. They had the custom of um, if somebody was sentenced to death, they would put a noose around their neck, and, of course, they were hung. And However, if they survived the hanging, then they were allowed to live, but they had to wear that noose around their neck. True story, okay? And what happened was somebody was convicted to die the, by, by, by hanging, and the population didn't appreciate that at all. He survived the hanging, and they hung a noose around his neck. And in response, the rest of the population started wearing a noose around their necks to identify with him, and thus the tie was born. So... No, I don't wear ties. <laughs> so at any rate, I count it a, a, a tremendous honor to have Pastor ask me to preach. I, I'm a firm belief, and I really, I told him this, and I really believe this. We've got a lot of young men, young women coming up in the church, and uh, we need to give them pulpit time. And we need to see them train and come into the ministry and uh, uh, dip their toes into it and have experience of preaching and developing their abilities to preach and learning what it is to deliver the word, hopefully under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I've had my time. I really mean that. And I thank the Lord that um, I, we are, my wife and I, we appreciate being here and being a part of this family, part of this church. I enjoy and appreciate so much the worship I enjoy Pastor C.J.'s ministry in his preaching, and uh, I'm looking forward to being in the new building and being a part of seeing what God is going to do there, and uh, I'm anticipating, anticipating very, very much what the Lord has in store for this church. I really am. What I want to do tonight is this, since I am supposedly, I guess, in, in the rotation now. I don't know. Um, what I, what I think I would like to do, since it would, uh, it would appear as though I may be uh, preaching another time or two or whatever, I'd like to begin a series tonight. Your pastor's favorite, uh, he, he likes to do series. Well, I'm going to do a series, start a series tonight. And so whenever the next time is that I preach, be it a month or two or three or whatever, I'll be going back into the same type, uh, type of series. But I want you to take your Bible, if you will, if you have one. If not, I'm gonna, I'll be reading for us. The book of Revelation, chapter 1. 
the book of Revelation chapter 1. I love the book of Revelations, Revelation, and in part because of what I'm going to be preaching tonight. Most folks' view of Revelation has to do with the dire warnings and the prophecies and the horsemen and the thunders and the lightnings and, and all, these, uh, all these things that are taking place or being prophesied to take place and, and so on. But I see a different picture altogether. And I think much of the church world has really lost insight as to what really Revelation is all about. Chapter 1 of Revelation begins by saying this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the preamble to the entire book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I like that. That is something I feel like I can sink my teeth into. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It reminds me a little bit of Paul the Apostle's words where he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I like that phraseology. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And when you look that word up, unsearchable, in the Greek, it literally has to mean trackless. There is no way to fathom. There is no way to map it out. There is no way to get from here, from, from point A to point B. It's like the question is how, how wide is the universe? Nobody knows. It's trackless. And so Paul the Apostle talks about the, about the unsearchable riches of Christ. A lot of folks wonder, you know, what, what, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? And some folks want to fabricate, and I don't know if we know all that's going to be done in heaven, but they want to talk about, well, we're going to become rulers, and we're going to have ten cities under us, and this city is, and we're going to reign and rule with him in the universe, and we're going to have this planet. Wait a minute. I could be wrong, but I think a vast, vast, vast part of eternity is going to be in the presence of Jesus. And that's why I think this last book uses that phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is going to be literally the unsearchable riches of Christ Revealed one after the other, and it will never, ever, ever come to an end. It's going to literally be, wow, whoa, mind-boggling, amazing. You think sometimes we have worship down here that's amazing, and we do, for us temporal human beings. I see heaven as going to be, be a place where it's going to be an eternity of worship, ongoing, the unsearchable riches of Christ, unending, over and over, abundance upon abundance, of seeing Him like we've never, ever, ever, ever seen Him before. Ever. Now, with that in mind, I want to read and have you read with me Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Because to me, the entire book book of Revelation hinges and is predicated upon this particular verse right here, where it says, I, John, this is the Apostle John, most Bible scholars believe it to be, of course, the Apostle John, 
I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let me just take a pause there. Most of us, I think, probably are aware that Patmos was an island where they exiled criminals. Very possible. Um, John was exiled there because of his faith in Jesus, because of his active preaching and in, in, in pastoring the church at Ephesus. He was put there, exiled, to live with criminals. In fact, they've got a shrine there now where there is a, where it was presumed he lived in a cave. There was this place of abode. In verse 10, watch this. Here he is. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now that right there, we're going to stop. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The rest of Revelation is birthed out of that phrase right there. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. If you were asked to define what does it mean to be in the Spirit, could you do it? What does it mean to be in the Spirit? Evidently, it is identifiable because John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I knew I was. I knew I was there. He writes it down and gives a sense of authenticity to it. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then these things begin to happen, begin to follow. May I suggest to us this evening, friends, that when we find ourselves stepping into the Spirit, amazing things can happen. In particular, the revelation of Jesus. I'm not so much concerned about thunders and lightnings and, and horsemen. I'm really not. There are some folks who've got charts and they can do all these things, and that's wonderful. I am more concerned for the church to come into revelation of Jesus. Let that sink in. My role as an intercessor these days is much along the lines of praying for the church to come into a revelation of Jesus. Because when that takes place, that alters everything. That alters everything. Everything changes. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does it mean to be in the Spirit? I'm going to give us some words that maybe will help our minds to get wrapped around what it means to be in the Spirit. In the spirit. First of all, I think it means perhaps to be enveloped. To be in the spirit means to be enveloped in the spirit. To have the spirit wrap around us. Let me get a visual thing going for us. Have the spirit wrapped around. Oh, by the way, I should point this out too. We're not just talking about spirit small s. This is spirit big s. I was in the spirit, capital S. I was in the Spirit. I was in Him. Is it okay if I use the word Him, the pronoun Him? I was in Him. Not an idea, not an ideology, not a thought, 
not a hung, I was in the Spirit. Capital S, third person of the Godhead. I was in the Spirit. Okay, now, I think it can mean to be enveloped, surrounded, engulfed, just comes around us. And when that happens, friends, something marvelous begins to take place. You see, it began way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. I won't take the time to read it there, but I will just tell you and give you that verse so you can look it up and read it later. But it says that God came looking for Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord, they hid themselves. And the Bible says, in the cool of the day, the voice of the Lord spoke. That word in Hebrew was not rendered correctly in our King James Bibles. It's the word pneuma, wind, breath. Now, don't, don't anybody, I'm not, getting, I'm not going to get really ethereal with you here tonight, okay? But just kind of bear with me for a moment. It was like Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden. Usually, they would hear this, the pneuma, the breeze. Look it up, the breeze. The breath of God. We used to sing a long time ago, let it breathe on me, let it breathe on me, let the breath of God now breathe on me. I've got goosebumps. Do we need to recapture that sense again? When we feel his breath envelop us, wrap around us, fold us into himself. I want that. I really want that. Adam hid from God. John, first book, Adam hid. Last book, John was in. One of the keys to understanding eternity is this, friends. No more hiding from God. Full transparency. Fully coming into Him. Fully knowing Him. Fully being enveloped by Him. Ushered into a presence that we can only now, as a foretaste, understand a little bit about. Number two, what does it mean to be in the Spirit? I think it means to be having things enhanced. Enhanced, not ordinary. When John found himself in the Spirit, all of a sudden things became very unordinary. He began to see things that he didn't even know existed. He began to understand things that beforehand was incomprehensible to him. And so now his mind and his spirit they became enhanced. Not ordinary, beyond, no longer. Beyond, beyond. And no longer ho-hum. Years ago, as a pastor, I got tired of ho-hum church. I got really tired of church being ordinary. 
And I set about trying to seek and to find what it meant to be what this is being talked about here tonight. A sense of coming into his presence. And I begin to find out things, friends, from the word of the Lord, that, that y- y- even in the Old Testament, it was Noah, when the rest of Israel was backing away from Mount Sinai, he moved forward into the cloud where God was. That's good stuff. When everybody else was pulling back and saying, no, we can't go there, we're too afraid to go there, Moses was stepping into, into the presence of the Lord. We could take time, and we haven't got the time to do it tonight, but all the way through the Bible, different prophets. I think John here caught a glimpse of that before this time here, back when it was said that there was a disciple that loved John. That was, that was John. And it was this John who laid his head on the breast of Jesus. Can you imagine trying to get as close as you can to the heartbeat of the Son of God just to hear it rhythmically beat? Thump, ka-thump, ka-thump, ka-thump. CJ, come here. You're Jesus. I'm John. Bear with me. Two men. Two men. And John was going like this. I can hear his heartbeat. I can hear his heartbeat. I want to, thank you, Pastor. I want to catch the heartbeat of Jesus. Do you know he's got a purpose and a will for this church? He has a purpose and a will for this church. I'm a firm believer that every church has its own DNA. Not every church is to be identical. We're not meant to replicate another church, Pastor. We are not meant to replicate another church. We're not meant to be like somebody else. Every church has its own DNA. Under the pastor, as the head of the church, there's a sense that we are coming into and discovering what the, what the DNA and the identity of this church is all about. I'm hoping it's about his presence. I've caught that. It's about his presence. I like what one pastor identified and said here sometime a while back, long, quite a while back now, I read. He says, we are going to be a presence-based church. Man, that got a hold of me when I, heard, when I read that and when I, I, I saw the intent of this man's heart. We are going to be a presence-based church. And there's some ramifications of that that I won't get into this evening, but going to be a presence-based church. Because when you become a presence-based church and your ear is up next to the heart of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is thumping on the inside and you begin to hear things and you begin to know things, that's when you're changed. That's when you're changed. I think what it means to be in the Spirit means to be enlightened. There's a phrase in the Bible about scales. I think it was the Apostle Paul when he was converted. The scales dropped as though they were from his eyes. And you began to see things from God's 
perspective. Light comes. Illumination comes. Tremendous illumination comes. I think it can mean energized, or another word can be quickened. We talk about the anointing. We as a man, being, tripart, we can be stimulated by the Holy Spirit. Our minds, our spirits, even our bodies. Revelations chapter 4, and again, I won't have you turn there. I'll just, I'll just mention this to you. But in Revelations chapter 4, there's a wonderful phrase that perhaps in the future we can get into. But there's a wonderful phrase where it talks about God saying to John, or Jesus saying to John, come on up here. Come up here. So another word I would want to use in this thing of understanding what it means to be in the Spirit Elevation. Come up here, John. See how we do things up here. This is what it's like up here where I am. Now, I understand the Lord can be in, and He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I understand that. But in a sense, He is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're not, is that not correct? That's where He is. I've got to go, he says, because if I go, I'm going to send the comforter. He'll be with you, but I'm going to be. I'm going to be there, okay? That's where I'm going to be. And so he says to John, come on up here. I want you to see how we do things up here. A phrase I've used over time has been, come on up here and let's have church up here. Can you imagine having church up there? When all of a sudden, we come into the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning, and we are transported, and somehow the Holy Spirit captures the attention of everybody in the building, and as we begin to sing and worship and lift our hands and magnify the Lord and begin to lose ourselves in, in admiration and adoration and so on, we find ourselves being transported and elevated and taken up there. That intrigues me. That really intrigues me. And if we're going to give one more word to this thing of what it means to be in the Spirit, I would use the word, and just bear with me, I'll explain myself here in a moment, to be enticed. Because when you begin to taste the things of the Spirit, when you begin to taste the things of the Spirit, you begin to sense and feel and know the Spirit. You're going to find yourself, my friend, going deeper and going higher than you ever had before. Ever. Ever. There's an old chorus we used to sing. We don't sing it much anymore in the churches. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You alone are my strength, 
my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. Amen? I'm not much of a singer, so forgive me. Longing, hunger, thirst, desire, yearning, going after, full pursuit of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that comes from being in the Spirit, higher, deeper, closer. There are four things that happened to John. Four things that happened to John when this took place. Revelation 1, last part of verse 10, he heard a voice. He heard things. He heard a voice. It was the voice of the Lord Jesus himself. But he heard. In much of the church world today, I believe there's a real, there's a real dearth of hearing from the Lord. It's not that he's not capable of speaking. He's quite capable of speaking. But it is the fact that not being in the Spirit, we don't avail ourselves of the opportunity of hearing his voice. He heard. Revelation 1.12 says he saw. He turned around and then he saw. He both heard, he saw, and then when he saw. In fact, you know what? I am going to read this to you. This is marvelous. Revelation chapter 1, I want you to see what he saw. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head, his hair, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth were a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now watch out. Watch this next verse. John says, And when I saw him... I fell as though I were dead. Boom. Couldn't help it. He could not help himself. He couldn't have stood if he wanted to stand. When I saw him, when I saw him. Now, wait a minute. This is a John who had been with him for three and a half years. He saw him. Not like this. Not like this. One of these days, friends, we are going to step into the eternity of eternities and we're going to see him. We're going to see him. <coughs> we're going to see him and it's going to be like a child's pictorial Bible we've been looking at all the time down here. Have you ever read the book of Revelation all the way through? There's a whole lot of falling down going on. There really is. There's a whole lot of falling down. Angels are falling down. Saints are falling down. Elders are falling down. 
boom, 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 boom. No catchers there. <laughs> Falling down. Why? Because he's glorified and because he's revealed. Wow. Wow, church. Wow. And we're needing so much of that these days. My, 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 my prayer for the church at large. I, I won't go there. My prayer for the, for the church at large is that the church could come into a revelation of Jesus, not how to build a church of a thousand in numbers, not how to do this and this and this and this. And this. I happen to still believe that if I be lifted up, he said, I will draw. If somehow we can begin as a church to come into his presence and the revelation of Jesus begins to break in upon us and we begin to see him and we begin to extol and glorify him, people can't help but come. They can't help but fall in love. They can't help but embrace He fell as though dead in verse 17. And then verse 17, the last part, 17, says, Jesus reached down and touched him, laid his hand on him and touched him. This is where revelation takes place. Jesus. God has always been looking for a man or for a woman who will position themselves like John did. It says in the Old Testament, God found Noah. Been there all along, but God found him. God's looking for a man. God's looking for a woman. Who will, be so, who will become, become literally so, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Do I, do I dare use the word infatuated? That sounds so, tri sounds so trivial. Become so desperate for him, for his presence, to know him, to know him, to know him. You recall the words of the Apostle Paul? I've got to know him. And the depth of his suffering I've got to know him. I've got to know him. I want to know. I will know him. So God's looking for a man. God's looking for a woman. When this kind of thing happens, you'll never be the same. Once you've tasted, you can never be able to really, really, really ever go back. Ever. I'm always reluctant sometimes to give illustrations of things that, that maybe we've seen and so on. But I want to give you one sense of an illustration. In Michigan, we had planted a church there in northern Michigan, and this church was really built on the presence of the Lord because we were just desperate to come after him for his presence. I'll never forget, because usually the way it happened, not everybody was where a core group was. And so during the service, we would praise, we'd worship, we'd move into him and, and spend time there. 
And I would preach, and then we'd let people go home. We always had a time at the end where I would say something like this. If you want to stay, if you want to linger, you're welcome to. And usually 30, 35, 40 people would do that. And we stayed there, sometimes an hour, two hours, just waiting, lingering, worshiping, worshiping, singing, worshiping, worshiping, singing, loving him. Our district superintendent, Bill Leach, came one time. He was a guest speaker that morning. And I thought, well, this is, this is my district superintendent. What do we do here, you know? I thought, you know what? No, this is who we are. This is our DNA. This is what we're all about. And he stepped right into the flow. He stayed with us after the service and just beautifully. But here's where I'm going. We moved into a place that morning unlike any other time up until that time when as we were worshiping in the Spirit, lost in the Spirit, that a voice began to sing with us. There was not one of us. Once you've tasted that, once you've been there, you never want to go back, ever. You can't because you've been there. I'll never forget another time. I, 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 one more, just one more thing, another time. When on a Sunday morning, all of a sudden I smelled, I smelled the fragrance of God. And I invited people to come up and step into that fragrance because it was so vivid and real. And I watched my wife walk up, and as soon as she walked into it, she went down. Once you've tasted that, how can you go back? How can you go back? Ho-hum, ordinary, no. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. The revelation of Jesus. I really believe, and I'll be very careful because I don't want to go too far out on a limb here, but I really believe that God's looking for a pastor and God's working looking for worship leaders. And God's looking for a people. And he's looking for a church where he can come in and be at home because we welcome him. One of the best songs we sing here, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Everything following the book of Revelations after comes from this. God found a man. God found a man. 
who is willing to be there in the Spirit. So God's looking for a pastor. He's looking for worship leaders. He's looking for churches. He's looking for intercessors. He's looking for people who are willing to be in the Spirit. My, my challenge to you tonight is would you consider, would you just consider, would you just consider becoming a person who has an ongoing love affair and a hunger for Jesus? That is, we sang it tonight, reckless in response to him, rampant, full-blown, full-blown, full-blown in love with him. Would you consider that? Would you consider that? Father, more than even words can express, our hearts, I really do believe, Lord, hunger, and we want to learn, we want to learn how to step into and be in the Spirit. Not just people of the Spirit that can talk about it, but be people in the Spirit. Father, I pray for this church family. Create within these four walls in the new campus, Lord. Create this sense and this atmosphere, Lord, where there is this expectancy, this desire, this burning to be in the Spirit. I pray for our worship team, Lord, musicians, singers. Lord, put it within their being to be people of the Spirit, willing to step into the Spirit. I pray for our pastor, CJ. My Lord, my God, I pray. Lay your hands on this man. Father, touch him. Help him to see and to hear and to be as John as he leads his church. <coughs> a man of the Spirit, engulfed, enfolded, surrounded, walking in, living and breathing in the Spirit of God. And Father, I pray these things in the most excellent name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor. Thank you, Brother Mike. That is a, a good word. We are truly blessed. This is just, um, I was looking forward to it all day today. I, uh, Nathan has a schedule uh, of those, and I usually forget to check that. I just asked Nathan, <laughs> but he was telling me it was, it was uh, Brother Mike's turn. And so um, I, I definitely want to get to the rest of that series. And uh, so we'll, uh, we'll be looking forward to the next time. You know, um, that what, what, Brother Mike was talking about when we were talking about the the presence of God. It, it, he put it so um, so well that it's it's one thing to talk about a church growing numbers and get excited of salvations, but it's another thing when the people when they're there and they're being discipled begin to continually experience the presence of God and grow in that knowledge of Him, and uh, when He is fully revealed to them. I know. 
here I've grown up in church. I've grown up in church. I've run from the Lord and come back. But the thing that I cherish most is that communing with the Lord and being in his presence. And it doesn't just happen in the services. It happens in that old junky truck of mine, that spray paint truck. You know, that's that's about the only thing that I think I'm sentimental about that truck is the times that the <laughs> presence of God just overwhelms me. And um, and uh, you just literally feel him. Uh, I, I call it just melting me away, just peeling off the layers of what the world starts to pile on you. And uh, so excellent, excellent time. Well, I love y'all. Make sure you're here Sunday morning. We're continuing our series, since I'm a series guy, uh, on help. And so make sure you're here Sunday for that. And I think, is there anything, let's see, ladies already had brunch last uh, last week, so it's not, the, okay. Uh, men's breakfast and Bible studies coming up. I'm going to remind you, men, please come. It's the last Saturday of every month. So just please be there, 830. We're getting... This Saturday, that's right, it's this Saturday, the last Saturday of the month, here at 8.30. Uh, we'll have food, and then uh, uh, Doc Blankenship is, is uh, bringing us the word. We've been going through the New Testament, so be here at 8.30. Love you, God bless you, and fellowship if you like. Uh, we'll see you Sunday.